Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. One, Hello, hello. You are joined here for Flower Hour. I'm joined with another contestant of the All African Colours England competition, Frankie Stewart. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? It's I'm I'm really good. It's been a long day, but most importantly, yeah. I'm here able to have a conversation with someone like yourself. The background looks good. Uh, you thank know, you. you look good. <laughs> look, you look fabulous. You got everything on. Yeah, you've got to you've got to pull it all out the bag every now and then. <laughs> I feel I feel quite basic with my plain white background, but hope the conversation is all about you. So you're the star of the show. <laughs> No, you've got to get yourself one of these. No, I, I do actually, but I don't, I actually don't, yeah, I actually could do one of those actually. But my first question has got to be to you, introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are. All right. Hi, I'm Frankie Stewart. I'm one of the Miss All African Colours England finalists. I'm 20 years old and I'm currently living in South London. Perfect. And a little bit more about why did you joined the contest and what inspired you I suppose to apply for the contest? Well um, I have been doing pageants for the past two years and from the offset of starting these pageants Miss England has always been the, um, the goal and entering Miss England so for two years I've been entering different competitions to just build up my confidence and understand a little bit what it's about and um, now I, I entered this year because I felt like it was just time to just bite the bullet and just jump headfirst in. So I, I contacted Miss England. I said, hey, do you have any heats going at the moment? This was during the first lockdown. So I was a bit apprehensive whether or not they would still be running the competition. And sure enough, they were. And I was really like happy for that. So I, and then they told me about all African colours heat. And I thought, well, I've got to represent my women of colour. And I do feel like that this heat is history in the making. Um, the fact that it is the first Miss England heat specifically for women of colour is, it's, it's literally revolutionary. It's, it's history happening right now. So I thought I can't miss that opportunity to be part of something so big. And it's so much more than myself. And uh, do you, in any way or shape or form, do you feel like, it's a bittersweet moment as in the moment has finally come, but why wasn't the moment ever here before that? Why is the opportunity Absolutely. now no. presented? Yeah, I've definitely had those questions asked me before as well. And um, it is bittersweet in the sense that why do we even need a heat just for women of colour? That's, un- that's kind of unfortunate that we need a heat specifically for us but at the same time we're at a point where we need to be celebrating women women of color and giving them their own platform and then once that's happened then we can integrate into the uh more mainstream heats because when unfortunately when you look through the heats and the women that enter it is a large majority white girls and white women and that's Mm. not to take anything away from them they are all worthy and they are all beautiful and all deserve to have these opportunities um but i do feel that women of color are um let's say dissuaded like from entering these kinds of competitions because of a stigma that surrounds them that is no longer in place there's no longer a bias towards white women within beauty competitions or competitions like Miss England or pageants in general I truly believe that 
there isn't that, that um, racism anymore. That's, we'll call it what it is. There isn't that racism anymore, but the stigma sticks. And so women of colour think, oh, I'm not going to enter it. It's not for me. It's not a space for me. So this heat does give us that chance to say, look, this is a space for women of colour and um, and hopefully we'll encourage more women of colour in the future to enter normal heats in this England and other beauty competitions and pageants. I think that's actually a very valid point. I can never tell you the one time I have seen someone that is, you know, off <laughs> colour enter a pageant, except like the Miss Worlds. And the only reason, yeah. I, the only time I remember that was when Miss Nigeria was more excited at another girl winning than her own self. And that's the, oh, that blew up on the internet. And I think yeah. pageants and com- competitions and they got like popularity, like good popularity for such a long time. But I know there's also, there's a negative side as t- associated with, you know, being um, in pageants and so much more. And you and I spoke about that. We spoke about there's the idea that it comes from just people like Honey Boo Boo or, there's these mothers pushing children into it. You've been doing pageants for a while. So could you tell me a little bit more about your first pageant and what's life been like when you've been part of pageants for such a long time? Of course. um, I entered my first pageant at um, 17 and competed at 18. Uh, This was because I'd finally moved out. (laughs) So finally, like, oh, I couldn't wait to get out. No, I've got great parents and that that wasn't it. I just uh, had moved out. I'd moved to uni and I was just interested in pageantry. I had been for as long as I can remember watching Miss World, watching Miss Universe. And my mum never let me enter any pageants because Mm. one, they are they can be expensive and um, they do appear to be elitist when they're not. It's just about glamour and beauty or it can be about glamour and beauty. So it appears elitist. So my mum didn't want uh, me to enter. And then also you have the likes of uh, toddlers and tiaras and honey boo boo that are um, misrepresenting pageants and implying that it's all about glitz. And that's just one category one genre of pageant is glitz pageants that is one small small not minority but small population of pageants are like that whereas the ones I've been entering and then what I've taken part in it's all about um you becoming a role model and uh, the best version of yourself that you can be uh inside and out so um I entered uh Miss Galaxy Miss Teen Galaxy 2020-18 and uh, I competed. It was I dove head first. Like I couldn't tell you, I couldn't put it in any other way. I just jumped straight in. It is one of the bigger pageants in the UK. Um, but just as an, a national level, it's one of the bigger ones in the UK. And um, there were like thirty six girls competing. I think forty or something like that. And it was. It was scary. It was terrifying, but it was the most exhilarating thing that I had ever done. Like I've been on roller coasters, been in haunted houses, but this was just the adrenaline was through the roof. And then straight after I got off that stage, I got bitten by what they call the pageant bug. And from then on, the rest is history. I've just entered pageant after pageant after pageant. I love it so much because it really does just give women a space to embrace who they want to be and who mm. they are and um and why not get dressed up and be the most prettiest woman you 
feel you are because it's all about feeling it's all about you and how you want to perceive yourself and that's really what pageants have become of course they were born out of a misogynist um, sexist place but the, uh, women have reclaimed the pageant space and it is all about uplifting and encouraging each other and becoming uh, becoming the role models of tomorrow essentially together as a team rather than as an individual and following on from that last point you said about being role models who's your role model I'd love to know I always find that a quite tricky question to answer because I find inspiration in so many different people and almost every person I meet I I'm inspired by and, I, and there's always there's something in everyone so um, I would say at the moment uh, or let's just say most impact on myself one would be Ashley Graham uh, the okay. American model uh, I remember being about 16 and watching how on America's Next Top Model as a judge and she completely changed the narrative she completely was like look I believe that big girls are beautiful and she just enforced it so vocally that it couldn't be ignored yeah so I and and I do remember being young and self-conscious and bullied for my weight and then here comes Ashley Graham just being an absolute icon and it did it did inspire me to embrace myself and my curves a bit more and instead of constantly trying to change myself just accept and love who I am and the body I've been given I should be grateful for the fact that I have a healthy body and not be pressured by society to look a certain way when I'm completely functional and completely healthy um and then secondly I would say um Jamila Jamil and um, uh, the British actress um mostly because she has used her platform to advocate for some really important causes and yes. has even started her own like charity slash community space where she uplifts and encourages other charities and organizations so um both of them have used their platforms for amazing things of course ashley graham has her podcast pretty big deal i'm a big fan of that podcast where she brings on a new amazing woman each week and it, again so many women to be inspired by it's really difficult to just have one role model no I can imagine um, as you said you're inspired by so many people around you but it's great because whenever I think about Ashley Graham I think about a lot of the things that she's done and when I think about it consciously even as a guy she was the first plus-size woman that I had seen that hit mainstream tv was it before Tyra Banks was Tyra Banks considered plus-size or not forgive my naivety um, Tyra Banks wasn't considered plus size, but she was shorter than the average uh, model or supermodel of her day. Uh, I think she is below 5'10". So she's um, considered petite, even though she's literally average size. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, indiscrepancies within that industry that do need addressing and do need changing as soon as possible, which is what I am passionate about doing. And you speak so much about self-love and it's so beautiful to hear that you've accepted the body you were given, the body you were born with. And I think that's something not many people are usually happy around. We're always trying to change ourselves. And I remember there was a quote that said, in a society that profits off your insecurity to love yourself is a rebellious act. Just how important has it been to love yourself? And to, what is it like practicing self-love? Could you take me through how you perform your self-love? So I would say self-love is completely a personal journey. It is going to be different for everyone who is taking that journey. 
And I, I love that quote that you've just said, because you're so right. Like this is a society that profits off of our insecurities and, um, and, and pries on our insecurities in the hopes that we'll fall for the next, the next big fad or the next thing. And it's just, um, for me, the first step is words of affirmation and uh, appreciating the things that you do have, because no matter how low your self-esteem may be, there is always something to be grateful for. There is always something to be appreciative of. And um, yes, I would say that I would put it, (laughs) I'm getting tongue tied. Um, I would put it in the words of it's a journey because for me, I'm still on that journey and Mm. practicing self-love. It's, it's got its ups and it's got its downs. I, I do not love myself every day as unfortunate as it sounds. And most women don't. So um, it's about reminding yourselves of those days that you do love yourself. Why? Why did you love yourself that day? And you write it down. So I, I, personally, I'm not a journalist, but um, people who journal have found a great that a great tool to you know reflect on back when they were feeling good. Mm. Oh, okay. So this is why, and um, this is how, and. It's, yeah, it's completely a personal journey and it's got a lot of ups and a lot of downs and I'm still on that journey and I still am finding new ways I love myself every single day um, and, and sometimes new insecurities every day. Mm. And it's, I, 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 would, I would say I'm just self-aware of my insecurities and I choose to ignore them. So there's plenty of things I could point out to you right now that I'm not happy about with my body but I decided that I don't want to be affected by it anymore so I'm not and there are days I am affected by it but I just remind myself that myself that I'm healthy and I'm happy and I should be grateful and that is the bottom line for me as you said being on that journey it's not it's it's not it's not a destination it's a journey so what was it like at the beginning of that journey could you take me through I suppose those memories and those feelings, because you said in school you were bullied and for some aspect your weight. So that's a very personal thing. So first of all, I've got to say thank you for sharing that with me. That's not easy for anyone to share with. Um, Because it's interesting. I was bullied for being tall. I was bullied for having big lips. I was bullied for, Mm -hmm. um, I was bullied for all sorts. And then as I got, I realized the things people were insecure about, now society wants it. So everybody wants, and then friend anyway. Yeah. And so when 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 you realise that the power of the fashion industry and the media have over you, yes, then they don't have that power anymore. And that's really that's where it started with me is when I became really conscious of the media's influence. Yeah. And I, and I decided to separate myself from that. So like growing up so yeah I got bullied quite a lot and it was like you said for a multitude of things I didn't help myself because I was always I'm a Sagittarius okay I can't help listen I don't know anything (laughs) about astrology I'm not astrology deterministic so you can explain that to me anyone who's Sag will get it okay we're a fire sign I'm not always sure of myself but I always pretend I am so (laughs) So growing up, yes, I got bullied a tremendous amount. Um, it didn't help that I went to a private school. Um, so, and there were, sorry, just because I was thinking about your TED talk that you've done. And I noticed when you mentioned that you'd asked to go to a private school, those were the exact reasons I was at a private school was because um, although my parents couldn't afford it, they, they, 
well, my, my grandparents uh, forked out for it because they, I was in a white area and I needed that not even advantage. I just needed a good education, which unfortunately state school education at the moment doesn't provide an equal and fair education mm. or a fair opportunity. And often uh, overachievers are completely <laughs> overlooked because oh, yeah. it's like, oh, they're fine. They don't need support because they're already achieving. I'll focus on the people that don't have that. And then it's like, well, I'm not achieving my potential. I'm just achieving above, below average, which is not yes. good enough. So I went to a private school, which while the education was definitely worth it, the um, the culture I was thrown into was uh, an, a racist one. Um, so I did face racism growing up. Uh, I, I do forgive those people now because children are cruel and it yeah. is born out of ignorance. It's completely born out of ignorance. I was bullied for being tall because I was always taller than all the boys. I'm 5'10". Oh, wow, um, that is tall. So I Listen, was always... All women being... are winning, so don't ever feel that kind of way. I mean, it, it, so for me, my journey started when I, when I moved to private school and I started being bullied. And then yeah. um, it was always an uphill battle of... Uh, ignoring the bullies and I do have to uh, give my parents credit because both my mum and my dad were you know daily support always uh, affirming me and always supporting me and reminding me that I'm capable that I'm strong that I'm beautiful and um, me and my sister were one of like five people of colour in the whole school Mm. and and I can't count my sister because that's my sister. So there was like four other students that I um, could relate to what I was going through. And we weren't in the same year. So we, don't, we weren't friends or anything. And it was just, yeah. Um, so it started in school. And then I would say when I, and I, I always dressed really quirky and different because, because it was, I, I was trying to be different I was trying to embrace yeah. the difference because I, there was no way I was going to fit in my hair looks like this not blonde it's not straight my skin looks like this and I'm this I don't look like what all the other girls look like so I thought I'm going to go the complete other way and I'm just going to wear the brightest colors and the weirdest clothes <laughs> and I, I loved it and I look back and I definitely have some fashion regrets but it's fine because it was about me just projecting and being in everyone's face and being like no you have to notice me you cannot ignore me yeah and then um and then I moved to a studio school which is a government funded but like not privately run but like I don't I can tell you the logistics of it but it's supposed to be creative based and um and then I, I don't know I, I I had the space and the opportunity to explore who I am outside of the identifiers that my bullies gave me Ooh. so like um, because that's what I became my identity kind of molded into the things I was bullied for and so like I, I was the tall girl or the big girl or the black girl even though I'm mixed race I was just considered black because, of course yeah because ignorance hey that's what we live with um and and then exploring media more and you know find like the internet had a massive influence because everyone can find a community on the internet everyone can find that group of people that they resonate with and are comfortable with or identified with and I think that's what really helped me as I was exploring the internet and finding these models and and these influences that were 
not what I grew up with. <laughs> not the same white girl who's this big and this small with blonde hair and gets all the boys and da da da. And it's like I, I was exposed to people that were proud of themselves. And then I, I guess that kind of rubbed off. And again, I have to, you know, credit my parents because they were there daily telling me how beautiful I am and reminding me of my capabilities and pushing me onwards. Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> because as, I, as you were saying that, I have to ask you this question now because this is what's come to mind. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask, have pageants allowed you to find your individuality amongst all the markers you were given as a child? As we know, childhood is such a fundamental part of the human experience. Yeah. And why I ask that is because I heard you talk about private school. Also, yeah. you were seen as a black woman, yet you're mixed race. And then also the class issue, because you've come from one background, your parents couldn't afford it. Then you've gone to private school. So whilst you've benefited from that in some aspects, at the same time, mm. you're going to have all these relationships and all these dilemmas going on. So have pageants helped you to find that individuality? I think it's been a complete mixture of pageants, um, moving to London and, uh, and a mix of who I was before uh, London and my pageants. So um, in a lot of ways, pageants have just helped amplify my voice and amplify the things that were already there. So I was already learning to love myself and I was already um, learning to embrace the things that made me different. But then pageants just really solidified all of that it was just like oh I can be this person I can get up on stage and wear a bikini I forgot to mention that in my first pageant there was a bikini round or a swimsuit round and I was cacking it because that that was something that I had been told was the negative of like oh my downfall's always been that I've had a bit of weight on me and so to get up on that stage the way I was and wear a bikini for the first time ever, never worn a bikini before, first time wearing one was on stage. It, it like I said, it just affirmed those things. It just, yes. it just solidified them and made them real and validated the way I was feeling. And then from there, I've been able to really run with it and just, um, just realize that we are all people and we are all perfect in our imperfections. Amen. I think to walk in a bikini is hard enough, I imagine, on a beach because people are doing their own thing. People are going to judge, but they're not really going to massively yeah. take notice. But then to walk on a stage where you are the center of attention and people are judging you, I think that's powerful in itself. So even I have to say, well done, because would I walk in, you know, in my underwear? I probably would, but I think as a guy, I have less to worry about. I have less to care about. I'm not being judged for absolutely everything you know Definitely. so it's it's really interesting to hear that and then as a plus size woman and you and I have spoken mm -hmm. about I suppose the the discontent and the disgust to be even regarded as a plus size woman when there's different body shapes there's different figures in society mm -hmm. what is it like for you you've come to London you've probably been exposed to so many different parts of British culture black culture then to figure out you've got a new category, which is either curvy or plus size as well. And I know you want to conquer the modeling industry. You want to conquer the acting industry. You've got so many industries you want to conquer. So how are you going to do all of that? What is it like finding all these new labels when you've just left some label labels behind? Hmm. 
that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I would say it's allowed me to find a community. Um, so having this label plus size or curvy has allowed me to find a community of plus size and curvy women who wish to be regarded as anything but that. And that's yeah. the real like paradox of it. It's like, while I'm stuck with this label that I think is just a bit of a joke because the I'm the average size of the women in the UK. So how can plus size be average? It, it doesn't make sense. So it's like, a, there's a huge uh, disconnection there, but um, it has allowed me to find a community of women and further um, support, uh, support each other and uh, uplift each other and push each other in the industry. So uh, last, or no, it was this January. Oh my God, the year, the time has just walked. Time has flown. It's, it's weird. Um, in January, I was a finalist for Simply Be's new icon model search. So that was an amazing opportunity. But what I really took from that was the women that I was a fin finalist with. I still have a group chat with them. I still talk to them on a weekly basis. And, you know, when, when one of us is feeling down or feeling insecure or has low self-esteem, we just put something in the group chat and we're all straight away there, like a wall army of women just like you can do it screaming at each other like just it's really nice having a cheering section and i've really found that again with um my sisters in all african colors we've really created a support network um with each other where we every time we're doubting ourselves or you know stressed um or overwhelmed with the work that we're doing for the heat we can really rely on each other to uplift each other and keep us going so yeah while being faced with new labels is kind of messed up because i i don't i'm not really a fan of labels but they are kind of a human like uh instinct is to yeah. categorize so um being put into a new category just allowed me to further find communities and support systems so bittersweet <laughs> oh yeah i could imagine and i think I study a lot into politics and I looked at like the advent of identity politics that it's emancipated a lot of people. It's allowed a lot of people to find their own paths and now they know whether they can go left, right, straight, horizontal, vertical. You've been able to find that. What was it like when you came to London? Because you told me you grew up in Hastings, if I'm correct. So what was London like compared to Hastings? And just how important has London been for you finding that sense of identity? Um, I would say moving to London first, first of all, was a massive, like, I like took a big deep breath. It was like, oh, yeah, I can relax now. But because... was it, but I thought you were, it would have been a deep breath from the dirty air compared to Hastings. <laughs> I mean, I was going to uni in the highest pollution area, but, um, other, other than that, um, no, it was, it was a relief because, when I was in Hastings, and please don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Hastings and I love the community there, but it is a small white English town and it's a beautiful town with beautiful people, lots of creativity, um, but a lot of ignorance as well, um, uh, which is to be expected in any small town in England. Uh, it's no one's fault. Um, possibly a failure of the education system, but that's another um, conversation. Um, but moving to London was a big uh, 
sigh of relief because when I was in Hastings, I had to be a representative of women of colour, of plus size women, of a hundred things. I had to be a representative for that. And that was something that my mum did teach me from young and was like, you know, unfortunately, I have to be an advocate or representative or an ambassador for women of colour or black women because I was considered black. And so um, being in an area where there's now lots of different cultures and lots of different races i'm no longer like the sole um ambassador for those things and because that can be quite a lot of pressure like in my friendship group i was um one of the few people of color in my friendship groups growing up and stuff and when you get asked questions a lot yep, they'll come to, to you really, exactly so i had to be really educated yeah. on um racial issues and and uh, just socio-political issues surrounding race and so yeah like i said moving to london just removed that and and i don't want to say remove that actually because i am still an ambassador for all of those things it's just that i am less bombarded with uh that pressure of it because there's more women of color or people of color and so it's almost like spread out the responsibility a little bit um but then i guess in the same breath that's kind of part of why i am the way i am and why i am so vocal about certain issues um surrounding race is because i grew up in a white area and because i had to be vocal from a very young age and educate my friends and peers and colleagues so yeah again it was bittersweet moving to london I miss the sea. <laughs> I, I could imagine because in London, all we have is a sea of pollution. And that's, yeah. that's sometimes all no, I think about. I really miss the horizon. There's no horizon here. I'll open my window, there's a building there. Yeah, concrete <laughs> jungle we live in in London. I suppose if all the opportunities presented, sometimes you sacrifice the green sanity that you once had. So, yeah, but it's, it's a good compromise, so... Yeah, some people, I know a lot of people that want to move back to their areas where, whereas for me, I grew up in London for so long, I want to move to an area that's more quiet. But then when I've gone to the area, I'm like, what's there to do around here compared to London? So it depends on which one I'm willing to give up. I've heard you speak so much in your conversation, the conversation we've been having about your parents. So it sounds Mm -hmm. like your parents are such an integral and a fundamental part of who you are. I'd love to know, and I'm sure everyone who's going to watch this wants to know a little bit more about your background. Where's mum from? Where's dad from? How have they influenced the Frankie Stewart that I'm fantastically speaking to now? Um, They had a great influence on me, and I was extremely fortunate that I have parents that are open-minded, and rather than teach me things, they taught me how to learn so um, okay you know that and that I am so grateful for it does sometimes bite them in the ass because I can be a bit of (laughs) a big mouth sometimes or chat back or whatever but (laughs) um so my dad's from Northern Ireland and he moved to England when he was 17 he grew up in Belfast um and my mum is she's she's black British so she's from England but her parents are from Guyana and I believe they came over in the Windrush so okay okay (laughs) so then how did you how do you feel with that I suppose that relationship because you also said in school you were considered black you know people didn't take into consideration that you were mixed race and 
you know, you had the issue of Meghan Markle. People were saying Meghan Markle was a representation for black people, right? But then yes. Meghan Markle has never openly said she was black. She's also always said she wants to be seen as mixed race. How do yeah. you feel, I suppose, if that sort of... I, some people would call it an identity crisis, but I don't want to put words into your mouth. How do you deal with that dichotomy? No, I, I could definitely call it an identity crisis. And, you know, I only really became... Uh, I don't want to say confident because I've always been confident in my race and that like being a uh, mixed race has never been an insecurity for me. It has been something I've struggled to explain to people because people can be ignorant, but it's something that I've always been secure in. But having moved to London and also some of the modules I was doing throughout uni did really tackle a lot of these identity politics that I myself was dealing with. So um, only recently I've decided I am mixed race uh, because I now understand there's a whole colorism issue as well. Um, so for me to sit here and represent black women or black people, it's not fair as I, I am aware that I do have a slight advantage being half white um, and it's a completely different racial issue that we're dealing with while we are subject to a lot of the same issues uh, uh, most of the same issues there are a lot of issues that I ha have to deal with that black people don't have to deal with and there's a lot of um, issues that uh, black people or dark-skinned people have to deal with that I don't have to deal with so that's why I choose to identify as mixed race because also I have got a multicultural back background um, you know I I'm close with my black side and I'm close with my white side so I've I I'm multicultural I can't say I'm black because I haven't had a solely black experience mm. so yeah this is why I go by like, I say I'm mixed race and um, every time I I'm asked to represent one side, I always represent the other because I am both. I cannot separate those two. Um, but no, I would say I really became secure in that when I moved to London and was studying at university and I really did. Uh, I, it, was, it was the readings I was given and it, while I was studying uh, drama comedy, uh, it's a theoretical course, uh, or it was 50-50 theoretical, so those theoretical sides more lean into sociology and philosophy, yeah. and then that's when I was able to truly understand a lot of the politics of what I have to deal with. I did, uh, there was a lot of racism I've been subject to that I wasn't even aware I was subject to until years after. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a journey as well. Same with self-love. It's been a journey um, understanding my identity. Yeah. And now, that you've, and now you've become more reassured and realigned in that identity, I'm sure that manifests itself for you in a myriad of ways. And you speak so much about changing the world and changing the perceptions of which people have in that. So being plus size from racism. And you and I spoke, you wanted to speak promptly about Black Lives Matter. Um, yes. And I want to hear your views and your opinions on how this year has been, because unfortunately we had the death of George Floyd. And then on yeah. top of that compounded interest was, you know, COVID was also happening. And then recently, even I wrote an article on Black History Month because I felt Black History Month was a little bit underwhelming and I felt like that because I felt like there was a racial fatigue that had happened earlier in the year yeah. people don't really want to hear about race all the time and then I'm sure you also saw um I'm sure you also saw with the Sainsbury's advert with the black family 
if you saw the thread of comments, the comments were absolutely wild. They were just wild. So yeah, I just want to know your views around Black Lives Matter and just your view around race and politics at this current time. So for me, um, the whole Black Lives Matter movement was, uh, well, this year's momentum with the movement, because as I was saying to you earlier, I, I find it hysterical how short of a memory we as a society have. We seem to forget everything two minutes later. And it's really frustrating because the Black Lives Matter movement is not something that was born this year. It's not something that was born because of George Floyd's um, unfortunate passing, it, uh, murder. Uh, it was, um, it, it's been going on for like over a decade and people are just, their memories are so short. And, um, you know, I remember in 2011 when those riots were going on um, and, I was only 11 I didn't understand really what was happening just that it was scary and now I'm uh, able to understand this year was the first time I went on a protest I uh, marched uh, in August for Black Lives Matter um, to outside the US Embassy calling for justice for George Floyd and a hundred other deaths because that's really what it's about it's not just about one person or one family it's about the entire system that has been built off of the backs of people of colour for white people. So it's an old system. And I'm not saying that everyone today in society is racist, but whether they like it or not, there is going to be an element of that because we've been raised in a system that is inherently racist. So... And while a lot of people don't like to admit it, and while a lot of people like to believe that the UK is innocent of this, we are not. And uh, just even when you look at I could list off 100 statistics, but there's just no point because no one's listening. <laughs> no one's listening. So this is why this year the momentum yeah. was a huge relief. And while it was extremely stressful, and it did affect my mental health a little bit because I was on the daily arguing with people on social media, I find it really difficult to scroll past a comment that is just allowed to be said with no argument and no, like, someone disputing it. I, I find that really difficult. And then I've got a lot of friends on Facebook and family. There were some family members that I had to confront from my white side that really misunderstood the movement and were preaching all lives matter, which is just, again, frustrating. It's like... Yeah, so I just I found the uh, Black Lives Matter this Black Lives Matter movement this year was a big step, but not a big enough step. And and I completely hear what you're saying about the fatigue that um, and I felt the fatigue myself because there was a point where I had to switch my phone off and I couldn't do it anymore. I don't want to be reminded every two minutes of the injustices that I am possibly privy to, and so. It, it was difficult, but um, it was important. So that's why we do this. It's because it's important. We, we don't want to victimise ourselves. And yet we are seen as the victim constantly or as, as people victimising ourselves. Why would, why would anyone do that? We're not marching for nothing. I didn't get a sore throat from screaming all day for nothing. It was because I was passionate about something that has been affecting me my entire life. From the moment I've been born to now, I've been affected by my race, which is 
just disgusting. Why? <laughs> and so like, that's why I'm so passionate about change is because I do feel I've faced so much adversity for so many different things that I want to change those things. And I believe that I can. I'm, and again, this is because my parents have really told me I can from a young age. My parents always said, if someone's got to do it, why can't it be you? So why can't it be me? And that's why I'm here today. This is why I'm wearing a Sashin Tiara. It's because I'm using this platform to speak up for the things that really matter. And it's not all about looking pretty and it's not all about the drama and the glamour. While that is an amazing aspect that uh, you can gain a lot from, it's also about using the platform to speak up for issues that are really important. And the issues you speak about, as I said, is, um, you speak about racism, you speak about body positivity and the empowerment of women in general now mm-hmm. with the competition i know you said this massive this you've been able to use the platform to speak about things that actually matter with you if yeah. you go on to win the competition what would you like to do with that you know that prize or whatever comes as a result of it what would you like to do and what could you envision for your future and the people around you that ultimately you will be inspiring So if I was to win this heat and I was to go on to the Miss England finals, I would just, again, it would be an amplification of my voice. It would just be a chance to step up and speak out when there are so many that are unable to do so or don't have the courage to do so. And so um, I've been fortunate enough to discover myself and find security in my identity at a young age. Whereas there are so many that haven't and there are so many young women that are struggling and just, just women. There are so many women and girls that are struggling. And so to win this, this uh, crown or this, the title would mean I could then speak again and more. And that's all, that's all it is. It's about vocalizing and it's about, uh, persistence and you know how I said earlier like oh I wear the brightest colors to just make myself be seen it's kind of like that I'm wearing a sparkly thing and a shiny thing to be seen to be heard and so that's all it would be it's, a, it's another sparkly thing and shiny thing to get people's attention and then move that attention to the things that matter so I would continue speaking up about anti-racism I would continue speaking up about um, the misrepresentation and underrepresentation of plus size women and I would continue speaking up for um, just feminism in general and, and the empowerment of women in general and then let's say theoretically I won the Miss England crown well, then that would then give me a world platform. I would go on to compete on a world stage and then I can make, I, I would hope to make a social impact globally because this is not just a British issue or a UK or England issue or Western issue. These are issues that are just international. Uh, every single country is faced with racism, is faced with sexism or uh, body shaming. And it's it's we're at a time of change right now in our society and the changes are happening faster and quicker than ever before and that's a lot to do with the access to information so i believe it's all about education and improving education systems and globally so i would be able to support charities that are funding schooling in impoverished areas that can't access schools or you know, in areas where children are forced to work rather than go and be educated. 
and that that's really the base of everything is our education if we are taught better then we do better so I think and I could go on again about how it's an education system issue really everything our society is just a product of our education which we've had a lot of so yeah I, I would just hope that having that platform and educating people is just the only way forward because um you know i'm not a pacifist but i'm definitely not for violence um and aggression uh mm-hmm. i'm all for education and i'm all for shouting as loud as you can to be heard so this is what i'm here to do evidently with your titles and your socio-political awareness and your awareness of life in general it seems that you've shouted louder than a lot of people have ever been able to. And you and I, I didn't even realize when we spoke that we had gone to the same university, Goldsmith. So we give them a quick shout out. You said you studied, what was it drama, comedy and satire? Drama, comedy and satire. Yeah, I was Perfect. the first group to uh, graduate that. And you spoke about, um, in terms of comedy. So I was saying to you mm-hmm. that I feel like, People aren't allowed to make jokes anymore. But you made a very interesting point to me. And I'd love for you to explain to everyone that's going to watch this what your point was. Because it made me really sit down and think. Hmm. So um, Sean had said, what do you think about um, being too politically correct? And do you find it difficult to produce comedy with political correctness today? And I answered no. And very quickly no. Because I believe that if you are... Uh, intelligent and truly funny then you don't need to rely on uh, politically incorrect jokes and making fun of minorities because uh, as I said before why would you choose to put down an entire group of people when you can fall over and fart and it's just as funny so and and that's not to say that farce isn't intelligent humor that is to say that you can rely on other things for humour. Why would you choose to put down people and have the possibility of insulting an entire group of people? So, yeah, and, and that was something that we did speak about a lot on our course because there are ways to make jokes about uh, about groups of people because stereotypes do exist for a reason, but there's a way of doing it in an intelligent way that doesn't just immediately reinforce a stereotype or immediately or, or a negative stereotype. It's always negative. It doesn't need to be negative. Um, you can find humour in a lot of good, uh, a lot of other areas of life. And if your humour is solely relying on ripping into other people then maybe you need to consider a different industry because you're not using your brain. And that generally made me think because maybe, maybe it's based on my personality, but I find a lot of things funny that I perhaps shouldn't. And I feel like with comedy, yeah. comedy has changed in ways that not many of us could um, have envisioned. So it's great to hear that. It's great for me to hear a different perspective that makes me think differently. And I asked everybody this rhetorical question, right? If you had a magic wand and you could do mm-hmm. anything in the world, what would you change and how would you do it differently? I would change the education system. That is my short answer. I just think it is set up to fail most of us. It is built to fail most of us and it is not built with our best interests in mind. It's not... Um, it hasn't been created in a way that supports the creative industries. It, in fact, it actively undermines the creative industries um, and it 
it values academia over creativity which as we know we are heart like left and right side of the brain not everyone is academic not everyone is creative and many are both so it's Mm. like why is academia valued over creativity when as a society we consume them both equally absolutely um, and then also the structure in which we learn is very biased towards academia as well the the structure in which we are examined and um you know tested is all biased again and uh, how can you have something so that's so rigid for children when children are all unique and need nurturing in completely different ways so yeah i would start with the education system i would put more funding into it so that the teachers are more motivated smaller classrooms so that the classes are oh, more focused that's the one thing i really agree with and i'm sure you experienced it in a private school mm-hmm. it's a lot smaller it's a lot more intense yeah. people forget yeah. that in a classroom teaching 30 students you lose children's attention private schools sometimes yeah private schools sometimes don't have classrooms of more than 10 or 15 at most yeah i was in a class of 15 for five years yeah i could just imagine that it's so different it's completely different different. and it's very focused and then it becomes personal because then your tutor has that attention to give you and and tailor their learning um towards how you're learning exactly so yeah, that's. I could list a hundred ways that we need to change the education system. It's outdated and it's in dire need of an update and in dire need of funding. And honestly, there should not be a need for private schools. We should have an education system. In the UK in 2020, why do we have an education system that is failing so badly that parents are prepared to spend tens of thousands of pounds a year to put their children through school when there's a school that should be not free it's taxpayer money we are paying for it why is it failing us absolutely and you don't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree you know so i suppose the fact we can break out the fact you've been able to break out a lot of your markers your identifiers is testament to the upbringing that you've had and testament to the individual that you are and the personality you've been able to cultivate. I think it would be absolutely fantastic if you went on to win, because I think there's so much that you would be able to do. What would be your final message to anybody out there? And what would be your message to people perhaps that aren't as confident and as assured in who they are right now? I would say that to remind yourselves that everything is a journey life is a journey we are constantly learning constantly evolving constantly open to new experiences and to not be so hard on yourself because most people are blinded by the media blinded by the society that we've been forced into especially social media and um just remember trends fade but you have to be stuck with you so it's better to like who you are than <laughs> like the trends like right so i really like that's that what I'd, say. I'd say embrace the things you love and and make you happy um because self-love is selfish it's about prioritizing you because you at the end of the day you cannot help anyone else unless you love yourself rupaul says it best so i've never watched rupaul's drag race but everyone i know goes on about it is, 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 is it is it like is it people's guilty pleasure almost? 
I'm not guilty about it. I love Drag Race. Oh, I'm a massive advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. I wish that I had more time to speak about it today because, I, like I said, I'm passionate about a lot of things. So I, this is another thing I'm passionate about. Um, and well, Drag Race is one representation of drag uh, it, and it is arguably a mainstream representation of drag. It has been a representation of drag which is more than we've had in the past decade anyway so there's that to consider <laughs> if Absolutely. you're gonna watch it remember it's only one representation of drag and there are many 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 forms that drag can present itself in and just have fun with it enjoy it that's what drag's about frankie i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and i think there's going to be so much people are going to be able to take away you're an inspiring young lady that's going to go on to do I think you probably don't even realize you're going to be able to do I think the world ultimately is your oyster so I want to say thank you so much for joining me for this conversation thank you so much for having me it's been such a pleasure most definitely and if there's any way that we could all support you we'll definitely love to be able to do that oh you can support me a couple of ways I'll tell you now I'll plug my stuff so you can um there is a public vote at the moment for miss england for my heat so if you would like to vote for me it's miss aac04 um and i'll make you put it in the bio yeah send me um, i was going to say send me the link or to um, text that to 6333 and so that is uh, it does cost 50p a vote but it all goes to the miss world charity and secondly i'm doing a beauty for beauty with a purpose project and fundraising for plan international and to do so i'm selling scrunchies and um, they're all handmade and they're all from reclaimed materials and even the elastic is eco-friendly and plastic free and 100 percent recyclable so they're three pounds of scrunchie and just send me a message and I'll send you a scrunchie. Wow, that's amazing. I'll definitely plug all of that in with my bio. So when people watch it, they're going to know how to support you. And I, watching this, they're going to learn a great deal. So I'm really thankful you've been able to join me. No, I'm so grateful for being here. And just thanks for listening to me ramble for an hour. No, I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I've, what I've got to do now is I've got to say thank you for joining me. And I'm looking forward to, you know, your journey and where you go. Amazing. Thank you. And have a good evening. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.